Broadcasting from the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, welcome to Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. I'm Jim Perry. Thank you for listening to this bonus show. It's Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. Tonight, American Hysteria's Chelsea Weber-Smith and photographer-producer Tyler Carey on the making of Euphemed Season 1. That's right now on Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. American Hysteria, it's history, it's commentary, it's funny and really sad. It's scary in many different ways and always crafted with care. Its creator, poet-turned-podcaster Chelsea Weber-Smith is with us now. Chelsea was a producer for Euphemet Season 1. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us on Night Drift. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm so excited. You know I am. We're also joined by Tyler Carey, also known as Davis Tyler Online. He's a filmmaker, a photographer, and producer with a really great set of Instagram accounts. He was also the series audio editor for Euphemet Season 1. Tyler, thanks so much for being a part of this tonight. So cool to be here. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. So, Chelsea, we'll start with you right away because as I've been catching up on American Hysteria, which is one of my favorite podcasts in the world, your podcast explores the fantastical thinking and irrational fears of Americans through the lens of moral panics, urban legends, and conspiracy theories, how they shape our psychology and culture, and why we end up believing them. So, Chelsea, what I have to ask you why do we end up believing hysteria? God, you just going to jump right in, huh? <laughs> oh, um, I think that it kind of depends on the hysteria, maybe. But uh, I think the answer, the best answer I can come up with is because we don't want to believe in something else. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times it's, we'll believe in something that even though it feels scarier in some ways, like we'll talk about cults of satanic evil pedophiles running the government uh that somehow is less scary to us than the fact that everything is chaos and we're hurtling through a vast black nothingness at every given moment of our lives right i mean how's that sound very good. And it, and it resonates and it makes so much sense because as a podcast, Euphemet, about the unknown, it's almost as like American Hysteria and Euphemet, whether we planned it or not, are two sides of the same coin. 
You're over here in the reality Mm -hmm. tunnel trying to break down what our reactions to this is, how much fighting and kicking and, 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 and battling we do to try to come up with things just so we don't need to be in the unknown, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think we'll get into this, I'm sure, but in no way are, are our shows diametrically opposed at all. There's so much, I consider them com- compliments, right? Not, not contrasts. So I think uh, there's, I think you could say that about both of our shows that the unknown distracts us from the known and the known can distract us from the unknown. And basically we just want to be distracted at all times and all costs. Right. Included, so. <laughs> right. We're all guilty of it for sure. Can you describe to us a little bit about where American hysteria came from as in the show, not the symptom? <laughs> sure. Um, well, the show, let's see. I mean, you were, you were there from the very, very beginning. Um, as Jim mentioned, we, uh, I worked on the first season of Euphemet a couple, two and a half years ago, maybe now, maybe more. Um, yeah. And so I was with Jim doing alien stuff, ghost stuff, Bigfoot stuff, um, while at the same time getting more and more, because I've always been into the paranormal. I'm in no way not a believer. I don't know if I'm a believer or not, but I just, I like, I just like being open-minded. And, uh, so at the same time that was happening, you know, that I was working on Euphemet, I was also kind of coming to terms with my own fantastical thinking of being raised in a conspiracy theory family uh, with my dad being a 2012er. I've talked about this a million times, um, but uh, I just had to come to terms with the fact that some of the, the things I used to believe in had like taken a darker turn. Uh, as of 2016, right? Things like the sure. Illuminati, which was once kind of fun, is now like really, really bad and gotten, yeah. you know, very dangerous. Um, and so I would think I was seeing that unfold before my eyes. Um, and it was no longer, it was no longer fun. And I wanted to figure out instead of just like, oh, is this true? Once I figured out, well, no, it's not true. Then I wanted to figure out why so many people believe that it's true. And so it kind of took me down this path of debunking my own, uh, the more dangerous parts of my fantastical thinking and keeping some of the more fun parts of it. Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's the short of it for sure. Yeah. I mean, there is a danger in that. I mean, there's that ledge mm-hmm. that one can cross over that I think even folks that are initiated into the unknown and the paranormal are always tiptoeing that line. You yeah. know, if they're, if they're concerned about their well-being, their mental health and their sanity, it's always that kind of balancing act. So um, it's, I think, uh, interestingly enough, the same for reality, perhaps. <laughs> sure. I think you're right about that. that. So Yeah, I think you're right. You know, uh, often you very creatively and succinctly present an alternative uh, alternative history, uh, right? And can you share with us perhaps a belief or part of our daily lives together that has been most surprisingly influenced by some strange beginning somewhere? Will Will you explain that question again? Yeah, often so many of these episode concepts that you come up with, you do a great job mm-hmm. of, of creatively illustrating the historical context. And often okay. there's a surprising beginning 
to mm-hmm. some of these hysterias. Have you ever been surprised about the origins of one of these hysterias? I've been surprised by the origins of every one of these hysterias. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, even today, I was reading about chain letters um, because our next season is going to focus on sort of the transmission of these sorts of things. And even just reading about that today, I had no idea that uh, people consider the first chain letter to be one of something Jesus said that was passed around for centuries, you know, and if you don't pass this on, then something bad's going to happen. And if you do, you know, so I just, I'm always, always surprised. Um, And I read more about it too, that, you know, in the 1800s, there was all these like uh, scams to get money where these chain letters would be passed around to raise dimes. And it was just, I just had no idea, you know, and I never know. And that's what's it's so it's always I never know going into these things anything except probably what a, a normal weird person like me would know about about them. And so it's so it's as much so anytime anybody's listening, you're kind of experiencing like a a process of what I experienced too, right? It, except it's a little cleaner than the research process that I go through, but it's, right, it's right. always as surprising to me as it probably is to anybody else listening. Yeah. There's a few less sort of like sleepless nights pacing around in you know, sort of dim lit streets <laughs> that, yeah. yes. that, that you're suffering yes. before that. Uh, Tyler, let's, let's bring you in the conversation here, man. In, in the days working on Euphemet, there were, a whole other series of strange beginnings in the stories that we featured. What do you remember about finding the origin story of these humans behind the backdrop of the unknown? This is a little bit of a craft question. Tyler's gone. Chelsea, you spoke of the Illuminati and now they have, they have struck. They've taken Tyler. <laughs> Th- that would be like a Bloomhouse movie or something, right? Like this would yeah. be, yeah. I think we're probably actually in, is it Bloomhouse? I always thought it was Blumhouse. It's Maybe Blumhouse. Maybe it is. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is I'm never watching Hereditary ever again, and you can't make me. <laughs> Tyler, last chance if you're here. Okay, no worries if you're not. So uh, Chelsea talked a little bit about uh, our past together. And so it was in 2018, actually, that Chelsea and I shared a small office together in one of the oldest buildings in Seattle. Uh, We first met there, and we knew we'd enjoy each other's company when after visiting the cavernous basement, we both said, haunted, in some sort of synchronized fashion. So We spent time developing ideas for podcasts and supporting one another in the creation of our own shows. Uh, Chelsea would go on, of course, to become a producer uh, for Euphemet and traveling with me and collecting tape that's recording for uh, a few very hallmark episodes. Chelsea, what do you remember about those very early days of Euphemet before we even started going and recording tape for this thing? Well, of course, you remember our, our whiteboard, right, <laughs> that we had. So uh, we were in a WeWork, um, which is very funny now that WeWork has had its great fall from grace. Um, 
And so if anyone's ever been in a WeWork, they're transparent walls. So you can just see into everybody's office while you walk by. And so our whiteboard, I mean, it was, I'm sure that it was disturbing to some people. I know at one point when American Hysteria was greenlit, it just said teenage sex really big. And then we realized like that can't be written on a board anywhere. Um, So I think I really just remember like how like, I was just so happy to just brainstorm with another person who just cared about the same because you were just as interested in American hysteria, like talking about that kind of stuff, too. So it was just a lot of uh, I don't know. I was just so excited to get to travel anywhere for a job, let alone you know, like my 13 year old dream job where I would be hanging out with people who were UFO lawyers or, you know, Bigfoot trackers. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think it was, I just remember how like you just lit me up, man, you know, like you meet those few people in your life that just make you, they, I don't know, this sounds so hippy dippy, but they like raise your vibrational frequency. (laughs) And uh, I just felt like we were, yeah, yeah. And I just felt like we just had so much fun in there and we couldn't really work because I mean, I guess we were working doing that, but we just, I just couldn't really stop having all of these ideas and talking about, uh, you'd bring me an idea and I'd be like, what's that? And then, you know, we'd talk about it for an hour and we'd record all the ideas and I'd tell you what, you know, you telling that the, me that story made me think of in terms of like a possible narrative arc or, uh, what we wanted to explore. And so it was just, it was just like a very exciting time. And it was before, obviously before American Hysteria, I was doing a true crime show then, um, which an interview show, which was really fun, but this was like a lot more fun. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, we were in there, we were breaking stories as, as the mm-hmm. weirdest kids in the, the house, you know, I mean, what, you know, people walking past and looking at our whiteboard, but also looking at all the books scattered around our desks. We had two desks that were filled with books and our belongings, and then two empty desks that then just continued. And we were in a glass, we were in a glass box together, like some sort of horror film. It was very strange. There's people on either side walking past all day long. It was sort of this weird, you know, experiment in terms of like, what is going to be the future of the podcasting for these people? So yeah, I felt the same way. I was energized by you. I was energized by our ideas. It's a very fortunate situation that we had because most podcasters, you know, I think listeners right now, patrons, if you've done any podcasting or creative work or independent projects, you know, it's pretty isolating. There's a lot of, especially at this level, it's, you know, we're doing a lot of the work ourselves. We're very fortunate if we have people that we can collaborate with or bring into projects, let alone having a small community that's working together to try to find those stories and, and, and to find angles and to find opportunities. So that was one thing. But then when we started going on the road for it was a whole other because we felt like we were getting away with something. Oh yeah, yeah, and and were we? Maybe we were. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yes. Yes. So so no matter if we were or we weren't, essentially we took advantage of the opportunity and and did the best we could, and it has affected our lives in varying degrees ever since. In the way that we're chasing that dragon 
and we're still going after it in producing these works. And so I think that's what's really interesting. At the end of the day, you know, uh, you're about to enter your fourth season. Euphemet will be entering its fourth season whenever I can produce said show again <laughs> and travel for it. But let's go back to one of the first times that we traveled out. I posted a photo of it today taken by one Peter Allen Gersten. And your experience in terms of, I mean, I think I can share this, your adventures in sort of backpacking, hitchhiking, traveling the roads as a poet and musician and a vagabond, you seemed very natural in your element in terms of some of the things that we had to do to get access to Peter. And you actually made me step up my game in terms of how I need to approach these out on location with boots on the ground. Because there's one thing to be very, you know, sort of learned and strategic with the tape that you need to capture. But that's at that point I realized like, oh, wait, we're like making documentaries here. You know, we're making documentaries that we actually have to go and be physically fit to accomplish sometimes too and be out sure. there on the road and grill through it. So yeah. set the scene for us when we pull up at seven in the morning to one of the largest rock formations in Sedona, Arizona to meet Peter Allen Gersten. Everything around us is red because everything in Sedona is the color red. Uh, it's, it's cool, but you can tell it's going to get real hot real fast. We're waiting in the parking lot, or maybe he was there first. I don't remember, but regardless, <laughs> Peter steps out with like a, a shining bald head and uh puts a bandana on and just walks right out. I do not know what he said. What was the first thing he said? Do we remember? You had it on tape, didn't you? I had it on tape, but I don't, I don't remember. And it wasn't memorable. Yeah. But yeah, basically he um, was ready to rock. You know, there wasn't really a lot of chit-chatting. Um, he was very concerned with... isn't. Yeah, he yeah. was very concerned with what we had in our bag. Like how much yes. stuff we had. Like, is it going to weigh yes. us down? So he kind of, yeah. he kind of, you know, right away it was business headband on, business, surveying what our attire mm -hmm. was. I wish he would have pointed out my shoes, firstly. That would have been mm -hmm. great. But mm -hmm. yeah, he was, he was sizing us up a little bit, I felt. Yeah, there was definitely not any kind of immediate, like, trust warmth or anything, you know, which fine. You don't know us. And I mean, especially someone who spent his life doing things in the paranormal world, you know, people are always making fun of you. And they're always like, he had a very, like, not grandfatherly at all, but like almost like he could have just like been laying on the beach in Florida. Like he was so like, so tan and so desert. He's such a desert man at this point. Um, but yeah, he was just like, I wish I could do a good impression of him, but I don't even want to try. Um, Cause it would be embarrassing for me, but yeah, he just was ready for us to take him and the situation seriously, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and we did, I think. Yeah, to the best absolutely. of our ability. I was definitely nervous because um, I'd never done anything like that before. You know, it was kind of like exactly what I'd want to been doing forever because I'd spent my whole life when I wasn't in school traveling around and talking to strangers um, and wishing that I could do something with that. Um, right. but, but not having the background necessary to do that. You know, I'd write about it later, but that's so much different than having like the actual experience recorded of just speaking to somebody. So, and then I guess we just, uh, we just headed up. Well, headed and here are the, the rock. going into this, the situation was in order to gain access and interview Peter Gersten, 
we would need to accomplish the feat of climbing all the way to the top of Bell Rock to be a part of the, on the top of Bell Rock Club, I guess it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those were the stakes. We had traveled on the company's dime out to Sedona from Seattle with this idea of this grand story of this man and documenting his journey. But according to him, if we didn't get to the top of the rock, we weren't getting that. And we were going home with nothing. So as we started to ascend that Red Rock Mountain and see that, oh, there's actually some, some challenging points to this. There's actually some other like real stakes in terms of the danger element to it. <laughs> what was your feeling as we were like climbing up the mountain? Do you think I could have sued the company if I got hurt? <laughs> My first question. Because <laughs> I'd like to rewind and get hurt and then sue the company. No, um, I, uh, hmm. I mean, ask your question to me one more time. Yeah, just how did you feel as we started to ascend that okay, mountain? How I were, feel. You, were you um, scared? Did the, did the significance of a, a fall you know, enter your head at all? Because to me, okay, so my observation was that you were pretty damn capable. Yeah, I wasn't very scared. I don't know. I just, uh, I grew up just going on. My dad was like a big risk guy, you know? So a lot of my childhood was like, I guess we're just going to pull off and camp down this country road or, you know, and then just have a pistol around in case situation. So it's kind of like not, uh, it takes a lot to rattle me. Um, and so I wasn't, no, I wasn't too freaked out. And I knew a lot of people had already done it. So, and I thrive on being, um, although I identify as non-binary, I thrive, I thrived as a kid on being like the girl that could keep up with the boys. So as yeah. soon as I'm in a situation where I'm that, like in that dynamic still now, I'm just like, I'm just like really fucking ready to rock, you know, like I'm just really ready to, uh, to not, uh, fit any, any kind of stereotype. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I was, I was ready and I was, yeah, I wasn't too freaked out, but what about you? I, well, you had a little bit of a look up that mountain. I think. Yeah. I mean, it turned out that you were an incredible insurance policy for this thing because, <laughs> because what happened with me is we got to a certain point and there was a, uh, a completely vertical climb between two sets of rocks before you got to the top. And it was about 12 feet. And it was one of those numbers where you had to push your back up against the, the rock behind you and kind of scramble up with your legs. Like you're an American Ninja warrior. And I was, I was sitting there and um, we were taking a little bit of a break, having a little bit of water, eating a little bit of snack. And I was just looking at this, this incredible vista out in front of us with the most interesting otherworldly rock formations you could ever find and the blue and the red and the green as Peter would say and it felt so peaceful at that moment that when I turned around and looked at that fucking 12 foot climb I said you know what Chelsea <laughs> I think I'm gonna stay here go ahead and, and I was like, already up there like yeah okay bye <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Already gone. Already gone. A puff of red dust in the wake. 
That's like a Sim- nope. I've been watching like a lot of Simpsons, so that just felt like you were like, no, just go on without me, and it would just be like I'd be like way up there, like. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, so you made it up to the top with Peter. So once you got up there, he was very happy about that. He was smiling ear to ear to leathery ear, <laughs> and. <laughs> He, sure was. He, he, was, yeah. he was very excited about you getting to the top, less excited about me not, but also non-judgmental in a way that uh, he is in terms of, uh, sure. you know, yeah. he's a pretty enlightened gentleman and, and, a, and, a, and a great guy. But when you got up there, you had some time. You had the recorder, mm-hmm. you had the H4N, and you had some time with Peter to not only take in the settings, but actually go through one more challenge. And I don't think we mm-hmm. recorded this in the tape. Maybe we did. But you had one more challenge to do when you got up there. Can you explain that situation? Yes. He, I'm going to try my best to remember. He wanted me, he said the hardest part was not getting up, but it was going across this little, small, like, you know, maybe one or two foot chasm um, between these two rocks. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, this is, and he said it was a psychological challenge. Um, and that a lot of people just are too, they just look at it and they cannot do it. And it's like totally petrifying for them. And then it was another situation where I was like, oh, I'm already on the other side. <laughs> <My Peter. laughs> but no, I mean, it was, it wasn't, uh, I didn't fully grasp why that was more challenging than climbing. But, um, you know, I mean, it was a metaphor and he definitely was presenting it as a metaphor and for the life of me, I don't know. I wish I could remember because he wanted me to to talk to him about whatever was coming up for me um, mm-hmm. metaphorically. And I wish That's I right. could remember. He yeah. turned the tables on you when you were up there. He did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He turned the tables on me. And uh, he he basically then asked me to climb up to the top of, like, another rock on bell rock which was the very very highest point so i went up there (laughs) yeah there was like a it was like you had to get across the chasm to get up to the other part of the rock so i sat up there um i think there's a picture of that somewhere maybe that he took um but yeah so i just sat up there for a long time and you know i gotta say like same with bigfoot which i know we'll talk about but uh when somebody says to feel something you know and they're like i want you to go up there and like really like feel the energy of bell rock because we haven't even gotten into this but peter's whole thing was uh that he was famous because he had told or he had spoken publicly about jumping off the top of bell rock into uh alien vortexes in 2012 for the mayan apocalypse which of course was my father's big apocalypse thing and i had my own sitting by the ocean moment for 2012 so that always resonated with me but he had me you know go up there and just sort of like tell me what i felt you know tell him what i felt uh and you know it's just and i've studied a lot about the placebo effect so i can tell you what's going on here but i won't um but you know it when somebody tells you to, to feel something you know i sat up there and i felt very uh I felt very weird and I felt like otherworldly or I felt otherworldly feelings or something like that. And so, yeah, I'm just wondering where Jim is. 
<laughs> sitting up there feeling really intense and having this UFO lawyer talk to me about the simulation that we're all living in and ask me about what is my fear. And, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was intense, but honestly not as intense as other, other times with other strangers too. But, um, I think it was, it was really, it was really fun and really special. And he was very, you never know what you're going to get when you're with some strange man on the top of a, of a giant rock alone right. as well. But, but he was nothing but a gentleman. And, uh, uh, so as soon as I knew that wasn't going to be any kind of a weird thing, then it was just a really kind of pleasant experience together. Um, and I wish you would have been there. Yeah, I know. Me too. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to face your fears over a chasm. <laughs> so you can listen to that adventure on episode 005 of season one. Tyler, you're with us now. I think so. Am yeah. I? Yeah, you okay. sure are. All right. What do you remember about those first episodes we produced together? Well, first of all, can we talk about before that? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm talking about? No. You and I Oh the, yes in the dead of night. Our moment. We had yeah, a, our, 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 our uh our, our moment together in really feeling out what the show really could be, right? Is this what you're talking about? Yeah, we we were talking about it and I can't remember I think it was your idea. You were like, We need to drive into the middle of the desert in the middle of the night and listen to some, you know, some stuff to give us some inspiration and uh, just kind of get out away from LA and uh, get into the, the zone of the unknown in, in our, in our minds. And so yeah. we, we did that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was great. I'm so glad you reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah. To, you know, I find myself in LA a lot for work and being there with Tyler I knew he was going to be a part of this project. I knew that instinctually and through his work, he was a great editor and he knew exactly sort of the tone and tenor that we wanted to accomplish, especially in terms of, you know, the documentary and how these shows are really more about the human element and its relationship yeah. to the unknown than the spooky stuff itself. And so, you know what? I was like, Tyler, let's drive out to Joshua tree in the middle of the night, let's listen to Art Bell the entire time. So we popped on an episode <laughs> with him talking about with talking with Bob Lazar about technology, alien yeah. technology, and we drove out there. And then at, at some point in time, after sitting in the park all alone with no one else out there, taking all that in that vibe, we started to consider, oh wow, okay, so what do what are we doing now? And we we realized we really didn't make a plan at all. We thought, are we driving back to LA tonight? Are we going back to Culver City or are we staying somewhere? And we decided like, hey, let's go to, um, let's go to some nearby town. Let's go to Desert Hot Springs or something or Palm Springs and just grab a room and then, and then we'll drive back tomorrow. So we found this spot. It was one of the only spots with a vacancy and that was open within our geographic area. Oh my God. And it was one of the scariest hotel locations that I've ever been to in my life. The situation was this. The outside of it was some sort of, uh, you know, Mexican-inspired uh, Bates Hotel. 
uh, with the sort of a, a half empty pool and folks laundry hanging. There was definitely people living in this motel space that we had stumbled upon. I remember entering and thinking like, oh, this isn't a good idea because we entered in the office and it's actually someone's front room. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't going to be good. But we said, you know what? Like, you know, hey, sometimes on the road, you can't be picky. You just kind of go with it, especially if you're dumb enough not to make plans ahead of time. And so we get into the room and Tyler, do you remember what is in the room with us in the middle of the room? Wait. There was a fridge in yeah, the middle yeah. of the room with a broken door. <laughs> and so we're, we're sleeping there in our beds and there is light gleaming onto Tyler's face the entire time because this, this just random refrigerator is in the fr- full size refrigerator, mind you, not some, you know, kitchenette hotel style a full fridge with the door open to, to reveal the light of Tyler's inner peace. The room was weird. It was like <laughs> a, a, something about the layout of it made my skin crawl. Like it didn't, it wasn't especially dirty or, um, you know, it wasn't clean necessarily, but the, <laughs> the way the room looked like a hospital room and each of our beds was like in a weird place across this the room yeah and yeah in the middle there's just this broken fridge and it was everything had this like it was like green and the light was green (laughs) it was like really weird it was like a it was like a drug scene out of a david fincher movie we were going there for no good and we were leaving with some sort of weaponry or drugs the thing about this is is tyler i think that experience would have not been the same without that sketchy hotel room because what it showed you is that yeah we could be out in the deserts in the middle of nothing with the potential to see all sorts of specters and werewolves and ufos and the the amazing unknown but then we come back into the humanistic side of things and we experience the reality of what life is in contrast to that. And so the mystery, the unknown, it stares right in your face and says, listen, like motherfucker, I'm human and you're going to reckon with this. And so I think that was a great tone going into the first season, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Like that's for me, when you were talking about with all of these stories that we did, what really strikes me is the people involved, their histories, their personalities, their unbelievable things that they're describing are obviously very interesting, but the human experience of it all is uh, is sort of the thing that interests me most. I've always been a, a, a bit of a skeptic, but I think that human experience is extremely important in all of its forms, whether that be in the realm of supernatural things or in the real world, obviously. The nature of our experience, the nature of our minds is, um, is just fascinating. And so that's what I, that was what I loved the most about uh, working on this, absolutely. Yeah, we'll be right back with Chelsea, Tyler, and Patron Calls here in Night Drift. Presented by Euphemet. You know the tunes, so the words don't matter. Beyond this town lies a life much sadder, baby. Follow Euphemet on Spotify 
and subscribe on iTunes to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Presented by Euphemet. Drifting further into the night, we are back here with Chelsea Weber-Smith and Tyler Carey, reliving Euphemet Season 1 with a live Patreon audience. If you'd like to join us live, your next chance is this Friday, July 24th. Mystic Tim Rothschild returns, this time as co-host, for an exclusive interview with Joshua Langfelder, the co-founder of the esoteric exploration app randonautica that's this friday july 24th at 6 p.m pacific time find out how to join us at patreon.com slash also coming up this thursday a brand new euphemet feature documentary on garrett kelly he's co-founder of a digital map for paranormal experiences called liminal earth and a search for a place in the unknown around him inspired his journey through the paranormal and it's not where he thought he would end up. That's this Thursday. Have you had an experience with Randonautica? With ghosts or UFOs? Do you feel your life has been changed by the unknown? Do you have a story you think would make a great Euphemet feature documentary? If so, please get in touch at jim at euphemet.com. Alright, let's get back to behind-the-scenes stories and patron calls next on Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. I think the happiness is getting very near I'm checking out the show With a glass of ice Looking at the sun Dancing through the sky Did it come You know, let me ask you this, Tyler, and this is a, a bit of a craft question, and I think it, you know, sort of highlights the the thought and the intent that we put into this show and the creation of it is, you know, we're talking about a, a lot about like sort of the strange beginnings or the origins or the human element of the unknown. Do you remember uh, about finding origin stories behind the backdrop of the unknown? And, and, and what steps did you take in terms of editing these stories to really highlight that human quality? I think, well, if you want to get into the craft of it, a lot of this sort of like trying to make sure that we're not sort of like diluting or not diluting, um, you know, in the editing process, you're taking someone's story and trying to put it forward you know, in a, 
a way that's respectful to that story. So um, something I always tried to do is make sure that we were not taking out context, which we might think might clean up the audio of an episode, but it actually needs to be there because right. it's, it, it, these little things, you know, the way people speak, the pauses they take, you know, um, the way someone might repeat themselves over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you want to keep those little, those things in, in these stories. I think, cause I think it just adds such great detail. So that, that was especially, um, the episode about real vampires. That was oh, one yes. of my favorites. Okay. That was going to um, be one of my questions. What, what was one of your favorites to really dig into and, and surprise you? Oh, uh, well, my favorite and most surprising was definitely our, our time at the Queen Mary, but the vampires uh, episode is also one of my favorites. Yeah. Mine as well. I mean, I think if anything, that is still one of the episodes that I get asked about most often because, you know, there is this talk about mythos meeting reality. I mean, you have this concept, this lore around these really sort of fantastical fictional characters created from a world of fiction, from a, a world of perhaps there's going to be a future like sort of vampire hysteria perhaps, because that would be kind of cool because that existed in Eastern Europe at one point in time and other parts of the world. But I think, you know, individuals that embody that are, you know, sort of confronting individuals with this idea that there could be something more because people see that and they go, okay, well, I guess, I guess in some standards, they really are vampires. Like, okay, vampires are real in a sense. And they think, okay, if that's, true then what else is true yeah or 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 what other ideas do i have about things that are you know maybe a little bit too set in stone you know we like who says that there's a definition of what it means to be a vampire anywhere all we have is a bunch of movies and old stories and and things and and uh yeah so it's, it really challenges the way you think about the world. And I, I think that's definitely uh, important to do. Yeah. Tyler and I were able to do um, really one boots on the ground uh, taping together. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? And it was at the Queen Mary in Long Beach. And of course, a notoriously haunted vessel that is there for tourists and to go and experience a sort of a haunted night at this vaulted location. And outside was an absolute carnival cluster F of activity that was uh, ranging from uh, absolutely too loud for anyone to enjoy a stay at a hotel to, you know, sort of very carnivalistic. But there was a sense when we sort of, went on this ghost tour, which was not a common thing we would do typically for the show. We would avoid any sort of touristy sort of things, but we went on this ghost tour. And one of the reasons I really wanted to do that, because I thought I could capture some really good tape of you in those situations. Mm. I thought I could capture good tape of you, good reaction (laughs) in terms of how you were feeling in this process as predominantly a skeptic, as someone that probably knows more about the supernatural at that point in time in terms of entertainment 
and the mm-hmm. ideas around that. And I think some of that really did uh, provide some quality tape. And in fact, I think that the things that we experienced there together at least provided us with more questions about what our, what our level of skepticism should be with this process. You know, yeah. I think that we discovered in that point in time that we needed to facilitate and think about some of these things a little bit more journalistically. Because if we were to do that, we would be able to be a better filter and voice for the audience to digest these craziest things that we could ever imagine. So what was your impression of that ghost hunt of the Queen Mary and our time we spent there together? Because it was pretty weird. Yeah, I think it definitely started out feeling um, like when we first got there, I was excited, but the, the level of entertainment tourism like you were saying like almost like disappointed me immediately (laughs) uh because you hear about these haunted you know places and this haunted ship that's from the past it's it's from a different time and yet here we are and there's modern music blaring and neon lights and you know all these sort of sideshow attractions and i was just like oh this is you know, I want to feel like uh, <laughs> I had all these expectations, right? Um, so, and comparing that to like when you and I went to the abandoned zoo here in LA, sure. uh, like that was, we were alone and it was very quiet and that immediately felt like, oh, we're sort of like, you know, we have this vibe. So the Queen Mary was definitely diff- different than I expected. And then but once we got sort of through that curtain of, you know, loud noise and things quieted down, it got, it got, it got pretty different pretty quickly. And I, I definitely distinctly remember some feelings and experiences I had that I still think about, uh, you know, on a regular basis because uh definitely never had any experiences like that before so um yeah generally that was that's my impression (laughs) yeah i mean i think that it follows suits with this interaction of places that i've discovered through these journeys in that even the most commercialized spots in the quiet in the shadows there is the potential for something else greater happening there in terms of your experience. I, I don't, I won't say that these places are more haunted or not, but the interactions that people have had. And I even did a more recent episode with uh, Daniel Noah, who had one of the most shocking and, and frightful experiences at this location and doesn't want to go back. And in fact, one of the things that we're talking about is going back together and seeing how, uh, he can better relate to that space because whatever is going on there, there is a humanistic reaction. There's an interaction with something that uh, doesn't feel natural seemingly. And so Tyler, yeah. one of the things I remember is that is when we started to experience some real chills around this place was after the tour, you know, sort of in the middle of the deep morning 
walking through those empty halls and walking back to our room, getting back into our room, our stately cabin, I should say, right? Yeah. Um, and you hearing some stuff that was uh, pretty strange. Uh, yeah, I. It, it was definitely, you know, it's strange, right? Okay, so what I heard, and it must have been what, one thirty, two in the morning. Yeah, right. It was late or very early, maybe I think it was later than that, two or three, and. I hear someone running in the hall outside, or it might've been the floor above us, but running footsteps, fast footsteps. And then quickly realized that they were, it could only come from a very small person or a child because it was just this little light running, very fast running. And I was like, who is letting their kid run around the ship at 2.30 in the morning, that, you know, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and, and that goes to show that even within our consciousness, there is something that's very mythic, right? Like, that's a classic archetype. Like, that's, you know, that's sort of like shining stuff. It's like the creepy kid running down the hallway in a hotel I mean, those are things that are sort of, those are images that are burned into our mind, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, yeah. Just like the imagery of aliens peeking over windows um, and, and ghosts touching you on your cheek. So, you know, that feeling I think that you had was a real feeling, whether, yeah, and no matter what it was. Yeah, it definitely was weird, but that is nothing compared to what happened to me in the engine room. Yeah. And that is what I still think about when I remember us going. Wow. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It, uh, oh my, uh, you can't see me on the video, but my eyes just welled up. Um, so I, yeah, we were, it was the, the tour, right? Yeah. That's what, that was the end of the tour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was fine. It was a group and we were just, you know, walking, recording tape and, and listening to him tell the stories about all the haunted places on the ship. And, uh, but as the tour went on, uh, people got quieter. We were descending deeper into the bowels of the ship. And we got down into the engine room and we were sort of it's this huge huge area and we sort of split up everybody sort of went their own way and he i remember our guide mentioning a small sort of door passageway at the end of this hall down in the engine room there's pipes everywhere walking across pipes and underneath piping and um and there's this little door and i went in there and it was pitch black there was lights everywhere else but inside this room it was pitch black and after a few steps you couldn't see anything and i went in totally like i was a little tired we've been walking a while i was like all right let's check this out like and you know 
and I was something like, um, I don't know if anybody is familiar with what a panic attack feels like, but it's like a, um, it's like something grabs inside your chest really quickly. And all of a sudden your heart rate just jacks. And, uh, like that's exactly what happened to me. I like immediately got this like sweat and chill and, um, it, and then I heard, uh, some footsteps outside the room, which sort of like brought me back to where mm-hmm. I was, you know, remembered what was going on. And then I turned around and immediately walked out of there and I had to go like back up out of the, up the stairs, out of the engine room. Yeah. And, you left, you left, Yeah, you had to get out of there. I, 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 I caught you guys on the way back and I don't know. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything, nothing. It just, I don't know where it was just black and it just hit me and I didn't know what it was, but I just like knew I had to like leave. So I, I got out of there. Yeah. Wow. Ty, thanks for sharing that, man. I mean, um, you know, these experiences sort of can leave an indelible mark with us and it's because of their, you know, sometimes the unknown lays within our responses. The unknown presents itself as, wow, I didn't know I'd react in that way to a situation like that. And that's shocking, especially when it comes to you in a form like a panic attack or something very physical, you know, because at that that moment, it it might as well have been some sort of beast grabbing you and choking you out, you know, because that's that that is what, you know, I suffer from those. I I know what that feels like uh, to lose your breath in that way. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, um, I didn't know it was still affecting you to that degree. Uh, I mean, I, I know that a part of bringing you there was to get your reaction, but I never wanted to pull you into a situation, you know, that I felt would affect you long-term. So I'm, no, I mean, I'm sorry about that. It's nothing, uh, nothing as serious as, as that, but it's something I definitely still think about. And yeah, I haven't, I actually haven't thought about it um, this deeply as I am right now, since listening to the episode the first time it came out and I think I only listened to it once. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, so yeah, it was just like, it, it's a trip to think about it, it. Cause sometimes these things, you know, people have these experiences, they might see something or, uh, witness an event they can't explain and it really affects them. And, at least for me, it's like, I think about it and it's like, oh yeah, I remember that crazy thing happened. But if you, hmm. but if I really think about it and go back and, and think about the way I felt and, and realize that like, it, it was a, it was a weird thing to happen to me because I, I you know, I, I'm usually pretty cool, calm and collected about yeah. this kind of stuff. And yeah, so it was, it's weird to think about my sort of patterns just breaking. 
Well, here's what I think is also interesting is that those situations, because I've had them as well, if anything, they give us a level of empathy for those that we are featuring in our documentaries because they're a taste of what some of these individuals maybe experience on a daily basis. And so we can walk into these rooms and share these spaces with these individuals uh, and really have an open heart in terms of how we approach them in their stories because we take it very seriously. Tyler, I think it's really interesting because it, it, it instructed you, it, it gave you, I mean, that was one of the sh last shows that we worked on together and it's almost like some sort of strange parting gift. <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> yeah. here's a little of this to, as you leave the door and I, you know, and I'm convinced that we'll probably work on stuff in the future as we, as we always do for the folks that don't know, I don't know if I've shared this with the Ufamat crowd, but Tyler and I we're from the same hometown. And yeah. so we, we've actually been friends since we were kids. And so uh, it's very rare that two individuals that, you know, I'm sort of getting uh, deeper into the thirties that we, you know, uh, still have a, a friendship, but also a working relationship. We keep finding ourselves working on uh, these projects together. So uh, I just want to thank you, Tyler, for your help in developing the show. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that, man. And I thank you for sharing your story about, you know, the effect this show had on you. I hope it's not the last one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was a, an awesome experience and definitely you know, we have worked together on a lot of things and, you know, for a lot of years, this was definitely our, our biggest project together and definitely my most memorable and most fun. Yeah. So uh, Chelsea, you know, I want to bring you back into this conversation. You know, we're talking a lot about sort of the emotional capacity of the work we're doing and how it affects us on the other end while we're working on it. And that, you know, we're in this weird space that, yes, we're podcasters, but we're not, aside from what we're doing right now during quarantine, which I really appreciate this opportunity, we're not much like sort of interview podcast hosts, right? Like this is really out of my comfort zone right now. But with that, uh, the work doesn't end when we step away from the microphone. The work is constantly with us as we sort of break down these stories and really emotionalize them so we can break that story. And, and figure out how it relates to the audience. So, you know, for as hilarious as American hysteria can be, there is this other side that, that dips into the, the, the horrifying, the frightening. What are some of the ways that you s sort of handle your relationship to this work? Uh, <laughs> that's such a good question. It's such a hard question. I think yeah. before I... Answer that specifically. I want to say that what you guys were talking about, you and Tyler, and hi, Tyler, we've never spoken before, but we worked together <laughs> before. But um, what you two were talking about uh, with how Tyler having a panic attack or you experiencing panic attacks and, and the, uh, the random ways that the paranormal may express itself through you or whatever, uh, and that gives you empathy for the people that you interview who many, if not most people would write off, um, in a harmful way. I think it's, it, it, that makes me think too of this season of American hysteria for me was it, we did a lot of stuff about archetypes and, uh, two of our biggest episodes were, um, rednecks and men's rights. Right. And so 
going into those episodes, I, it's my place in the world, I believe is like a peacekeeper intermediary. I don't think that's the right way to be an activist or not, but that's the way that I am in the world. And so when I wanted to talk about rednecks, I didn't want to talk about like, oh, look at this cousin marrying, Trump supporting, bigot, racist, you know, from wherever I wanted to understand, again, like how we talked about the hysteria being the thing that distracts us from the truth, something easier to believe is, oh, it's easier to believe that all the people who are responsible for racism in this country are Southern rednecks and we don't have to worry about it here in Seattle because we're all post all of that, you know, and we're all so great and everything. And so I think that in a similar way, it takes a lot of like, all I want to do with the work too is to like find empathy with the people, even men, right? Oh my God, men, (laughs) uh, the men's rights episode. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I, it, was, it would have been really easy to look at incels the same way and voluntarily celibate people, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, or basically, you know, like Reddit trolls or uh, 4chan trolls instead of like finding a new way to look at it, which might humanize people enough to not to say that it's worth understanding their ideas, or, but, but understanding how a person gets to the point where those ideas are interesting uh, important or, or worth throwing your life away over. Right. So I think, um, part of, and I think that leads into what you're saying too, is, is part of the way that I can stomach so much of the horror of the stuff I, I, uh, read about and write about, um, which is often just like brutal history of American racism, genocide, anything like that um is really to um under try to understand what's at the bottom of all of that not in any way as an excuse but as a hope to the hope that if we can understand that which we hate we can prevent it from continuing to express itself right so i think that that coming from a place of empathy and again, I don't think empathy is sympathy, nor is it an excuse, nor is it even an interest necessarily, but just a common sense place of if we don't understand the entirety of human nature, even at the ugliest sides, then we're not going to understand humans and we're not going to understand how to, to create a future that we want to be in. Um, and so I think I'm always trying to remember that you know, these, the truth will set you free or whatever. Um, and the more that we hear the truth from all the different, all different sides, not just the sides that fit our, um, prescribed opinions or narratives that we already have. Um, which is not the other thing about American hysteria. It's not even just the work that's scary. It's the reception to the work. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm always, every time I put out an episode, I'm just like, well, that was a great run. I'm sure that the internet will no longer tolerate my existence anymore. Right. Um, but, right. uh, but you know, I mean, that, that is the worst thing to let stop you from doing anything. But I think it's a lot of just like really caring to dispel myths 
and not just the myths that I think I'm supposed to be dispelling. I don't know if that makes any mm. sense. It's very complicated, but um, yeah. yeah. So I think, I don't know if there's like an easy answer. You know, people say, what do I do for self-care? And the truth is I go for walks in the woods in the morning and I watch hours of television at night. And that's the only uh, way that I get by uh, on the day to day. But, um, but yeah, in, in a greater sense, it is, when I hear from somebody that, you know, oh, I showed this to my uncle who has been really a really angry man and he didn't understand why he was so angry. And then we talked about, well, maybe he's just sad, you know, and like, so just things like that where it's like, okay, this at least made one, one person feel more understood. And hopefully then that person being being understood more so will prevent them from becoming, I don't know, a murderer, essentially. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, as I'm sure it is for you, there's so much that comes from people who, who listen and reach out and uh, it starts to make all of the hours and hours and hours and hours worth it. Um, but, you know, it's not easy. It's very tiring and, uh, you know, so. Certainly. Yeah. We'll go ahead and open up to patron callers. If anyone wants to join the conversation, go ahead and raise their hand, and then I'll ask to unmute you so you can chat with us. Tyler. Oh, I just, I muted myself because there was a very loud noise happening, and I wanted to just say hi back to Chelsea. Thanks, Tyler. Hi. It's awesome <laughs> to meet you. I, I, it's I so great it. to meet you. Yeah. Very good. Anyway, that's that's all. That's all. <laughs> all right. And we're going to Lillian. Lillian, thanks for joining us. Where are you calling from tonight? Oh, Atlanta, Georgia. Fantastic. Do you have a question for any of us? I um, just want to thank Chelsea because um, her point of view on like as it relates to um, like the LGBT point of view of her um, American hysteria um, topics has really opened up um, a whole lot of things, you know, that I, um, that I didn't think about. And um, I just want to thank her for, um, doing that and to bring uh, a voice that has, has, hasn't been listened to um, in the arena of, of, of this, all this um, hysteria and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, like, there's a lot of, of stuff that she talks about that comes from a very racist, misogynistic, point of view and I just I just love for her to like span on that and like I I thank her for doing it I guess well thank you that's yeah I it sure does come from that point of view doesn't it I'm sure you know but I really I so appreciate you saying that it's it's so it's so good to hear that and you know I mean as you might imagine, it is nerve-wracking to, to be somebody queer, gay, whatever, uh, in the public eye sometimes like that. But it's always good to know that that 
people feel that way. Um, so thanks for saying that. And yeah, I mean, most of the things that we talk about on the show have some root in, in either racism, sexism, homophobia, um, even, uh, poverty, right. Or even people who hate poor people because, because, and I, I, I know I don't need to say this because you've been listening along. I'm sure you've been reading your own, you know, about your own interests as well. But, you know, a lot of these things come from the fact that everything in America, and it's not like hysteria is specifically American, everything in, in our entire world is about power and power yeah. dynamics. And, and when, when one group, when a dominant group feels their power slipping away, Right. I think we see a lot of that right now or they think their power is slipping away. Um, yes. You know, you get I think that's something about, you know, the mask thing where people are acting like wearing a mask is yes. a, a terrifying thing to have to do um, where that, you know, where it's not actually a, a very like compared to what someone who's a not not a white man would deal with on a day to day basis um, that feel silly to, to other folks because putting a piece of cloth on your face to enter a restaurant, you know, is, is the restaurant's right. But, um, you know, I think, so I think, but then there's like, everybody freaks out and there's a conspiracy theory and there's all these different things. Um, and so I think it just really has to do with, with power and power is structured in America and all around the world through, through prejudices and, and isms. Um, and through hierarchies, right? So uh, it's always going to be, ex it's always going to express itself like that. And my, my producer, Rod, always likes to joke that, um, that every episode, no matter what, will somehow link back to slavery. And I say, yeah, it does. <laughs> I don't go in there saying, oh, I'm going to link it back there. But it's like, and that's the thing too, is like, it, it's kind of, history is going to link back to, the history we don't learn about in school, right? So it's not even, I don't think it's a stretch for everything to link back to that because it was a foundation of our country, right? So, yes. yeah, so does that, does that, is that good? Is there any other? Yeah. Any other you? Okay, good. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so you're much. So thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much, Lillian. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Lillian. I appreciate you joining us tonight. And now we're going to go to David. Uh, David, where are you calling us from? I'm in the uh, San Gabriel Valley, uh, east of downtown LA. So I'm in the metropolitan area of Los Angeles. Oh, fantastic. Uh, a couple yeah. from the LA area tonight. What uh, what's going on? Well, I I wanted to thank Chelsea. I really enjoy American Hysteria. It was um, it was a wonderful thing. Um, I haven't actually gotten my son to listen to a complete episode, but we chat about it and listen to bits and pieces in the car all the time. And one of the things that it really helped for me is because I'm always trying to explain to him, you know, what my childhood looked like. And we I talk sometimes about like satanic panic or some of the other crazy things that happened in the eighties. And, um, he's like, wow, that I can't imagine something like that happening. And then going on and on and on for years, like some of the things that went on in the eighties. And one of the things that we've discussed a lot, and I was always curious about was, you know, the eighties was really the last great analog decade. Um, when we moved into the digital era after that, 
And nowadays, like like in some of the later episodes we've, we've been listening to, uh, where we start getting into some of the, uh, the internet phenomenon. And it seems like when you get into these modern hysterias, they seem to not quite last as long. They kind of come and go. And I'm talking to him, and most everything that seems to be hysteria-driven today seems to involve the internet on some level or another. And, you know, you, you see it come and go through 4chan or blogs or, or some different thing. Uh, from incels to whatever QAnon, you know, that's going on. And then we talk about, you know, he says, you know, there's, there's so much more like kind of like mystery that go went on, like in my generation, uh, you know, we're always bouncing back and forth, commenting Gen X, Gen Z, and, and, you know, um, comparing the two generations. And, you know, he said, wow, you know, what was that really like to just be at a friend's house and just drop off the grid for six hours and your parents don't know where you're at? You're not getting tracked constantly by your yeah. phone or the best. And <laughs> yeah, and, and the best. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's really fascinating to there's a certain level of paranoia in his generation because, you know, like what's going on right now with TikTok. You know, he was joking with me right now that, you know, I'm pretty sure that the Chinese have data mined every every second of our lives according to what's going on on the TV now. And so it's, it's just hilarious. But, um, and it's also fascinating because, you know, some of the, the, like we were just talking a minute ago about, you know, rednecks and, and all of this, you know, um, how radically different our childhood is. I grew up in, um, in an urban center of Kentucky growing up. And, but I spent a lot of time in the rural areas and so, you know, he, my son is, is half white, half Asian. He's biracial. And so his childhood here in Los Angeles, trying to compare it to my childhood in the eighties, it's, it's really interesting. Some of the conversations we get into mm-hmm. and, um, and just when he has his friends over, it's like, oh, wow, you, you've got like the, the only, you know, white dad in the entire neighborhood. I think we're like, I'm like <laughs> one of the only white parents in the entire high school. And so, you know, when you get into this stuff, it's really fascinating because a lot of their attitudes and things that they know about people from Kentucky is straight off the internet or off TV. And then they actually meet me and it's like, wow, there's a little bit more depth there. And so it's, mm. um, I really appreciate, you know, Chelsea, the, uh, the show and just kind of being able to get that background and get that information. And then, you know, Euphemet's been wonderful too, just because, um, you know, I grew up a lot with the paranormal and things growing up and then, being out here and, and seeing how people's approach to, um, you know, the, the, you know, those types of events is very different here in Los Angeles. So I just wanted to say thanks and uh, it's been a great trip. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, David. Yeah, that's so sweet, David. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I'm glad that I'm glad I can help a Kentucky, Kentucky boy (laughs) feel better understood. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think, everything you said is uh is so interesting and i think i'm right between you and your son as a millennial so i think i had my foot in both worlds uh pretty hard there so um yeah and i miss i miss yeah i had a really bad breakup a few years ago and my mom and i just kept getting texts you know and i didn't want to get the text but they kept coming and it wasn't like quite a block I didn't want to block, you know, because that's a very aggressive move. But it just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And, and she said, you know, when I was your age and you broke up with someone, you just hung up on them and then you pulled the cord out of the wall. And that was it. And I was like, man, what a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I just, 
I if wish only. that was true. If only. But yeah, I mean, it's true. The internet, the internet probably both speeds up and slows down hysterias in different ways, I think, too. Because, I mean, we're seeing satanic panic all over again with, like, the Wayfair stuff. You've been hearing about mm-hmm. the Wayfair shipping children yeah. in shipping containers. I mean, that has all the hallmarks. Of Excuse hallmark. me? Oh, you haven't heard about this, Jim. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, there's a conspiracy theory going around that the furniture company is ship is child sex trafficking people in container storage containers. And there's like a handful of, you know, very coincidental evidences. But like, you know, I don't always blame people because that would be terrifying. But I always, my, I have a friend who is very into convincing me that this is true, um, and I'm just lovingly attempting to um, explain why it's most likely not true. I don't know, but um, yeah. So it's just they come, they come back, they keep coming back, and it's not satan. I'm sure that many people are saying there's something satanic to it, but it's still the same. It's just like the '80s. Um, with these really unbelievable movie-like scenarios. That's what I tell people. I was like, if it sounds like it's a movie, it's probably not true. For the most part, a good rule of thumb. But uh, What, yeah, what so do you tell people about this year then? <laughs> that's a great point. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I want to chew on that for a second. Uh, David, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, yeah, great yes, thank input. you so much, David. Yeah, so uh, Tyler... Are there things about that feeling that you got combing through so much of my bad tape that keeps you up at night? Um, I've heard a lot. I mean, I've heard a lot of you talking, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I really enjoy um, the process of, of editing. And that was the first time that I had ever um i I'd, I'd, I'd worked with a different podcast studio before um we worked together and i, I did some podcasting um production but this is the first time that it was really you know getting to be creative and edit like you know a imageless movie is what it felt like to me yeah. or at least that's how i wanted to approach it Right. Um, and so it was just so fun, like, um, trying to, you know, find the right tones and music and sounds and pacing to really sort of like make it come across the way that, you know, we sort of felt about it experiencing it. So, yeah. Um, I didn't mind listening to all, all your, all your tape Good. at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Tyler and Chelsea and patrons. Chelsea, it was so great to see your dumb face too. It was so great to see your stupid face. <laughs> your dumb face. <laughs> All right, Tyler, I have no idea what your face looks like, by the way. It's, it's okay. It's probably more it's okay. beardy right now, right? It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Don't everybody. Take care. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Hey, keep looking up. Yeah. <laughs> you go. Later.
Thank you for listening to this edition of Night Drift, presented by Ufamat. Thank you to our guests, Chelsea Weber-Smith and Tyler Carey. For more of their work, find links in the show notes. And thank you as well to our sponsors, Spotify and Anchor. To be a part of our next live Zoom interview, join us on Patreon. It's $5 per month and includes access to Euphemet, the original series, and much more. For everything Euphemet, including how you can subscribe to the show, our short film series with Carl Pfeiffer of Hellier, merch, and links to our social media, visit euphemet.com. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up. Follow Euphemet on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.